Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We just finished an incredible episode with Holly Baxter. We sure did. There was so much valuable content delivered in today's episode with Holly. You know, both Danny and I have followed her religiously on social media and we both look up to her. Yeah, she's just an incredible woman and the credentials are next level. She works as an experienced clinical dietitian, a coach and a trainer. Married to the flexible dieting king, Lane Norton, mm-hmm. and they have their empire together. Yeah. So we spoke about a lot of different things as well as, you know, flexible dieting, their new app that's coming out, which is Carbon Diet Coach. So incredible technology trialed yes. by Holly herself, which, you know, she's done 15 combined bodybuilding shows. So she knows her stuff when it comes to building a world-class physique. Absolutely. And what we really love about Holly and everything that she stands for, it's a real approach, recognizing that everyone is different and we have to allow this journey to fit in with each individual lifestyle. Mm. So she's all about health. Yeah, absolutely. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. Let's get into it. It's time to level up. Holly, thank you so much for coming on the Level Up podcast today. We are so excited to have you on. Sherelle and I have been following you for a long time and seen your transitions as well. And just from where you've been to where you are now, it's quite remarkable. So we are very excited to pick your brain and and have our listeners learn from one of the greatest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) The pleasure's all ours. So can you tell us a little bit about your sporting and athletic background and I guess what got you started in the health and fitness space? Sure. So, goodness, it does go ways back. Um, I think, like, as a kid, I was always very active. So I think my mum had us in just about every sport and, you know, after-school activity you can imagine. But um, I think I kind of grew up in athletics and basketball. And once you kind of get to, you know, year 10, year 11, you're starting to think about, like, what am I going to do for a career And I think it's really sad, but unfortunately, as a female living in Australia, there isn't really a huge sporting opportunity for you and certainly not one that, you know, is going to sustain, you know, a family life. So um, my parents really just encouraged me to be academic and I'd always been pretty studious at school. So naturally, I kind of wanted to do something in the field of um, either sport or nutrition, or something in the medical um, profession, to be honest. So I actually looked at applying for medicine in Hobart, um, which is, I grew up in Tasmania. And then I looked at a couple of other universities in Queensland. And what I ended up coming back to was um, my undergraduate in food science and nutrition at Deakin, uh, which is there in Melbourne, where you guys are. Um, yeah. was it, it was which campus? I went to Deakin in Burwood for three years. Yeah, that's exactly where I went. Ah, yeah. Did you ever go to any of the traffic light parties and the mystery bus tour when you were there? Oh, <laughs> Come my on. God. Yeah. I've got some stories for you about DC University. My birthday was always in O-Week. Oh, so, stop. Um, we would, yeah, I think I would kind of hop on the O-Week celebrations for my birthday. I, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll keep it at that. We'll keep it to, wow, some of the best years of my life, Deacon O-Week. I love that you went there. We'll park that. We'll park that. We'll definitely That's come back to That's for another podcast. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, I kind of, um, I ended up back at, in Melbourne just because it was closer to home. So I kind of, you know, would go back and see my family pretty frequently. 
at the time, I think I left like my, you know, high school sweetheart boyfriend. So I was like, oh, well, it's closer to that. So I'll, I'll stay in, I'll stay where I can. But um, yeah, so I did my undergraduate in food science and nutrition, and I kind of still kept doing a little bit of athletics. Um, there was a school team, so we still got to do nationals as a part of Deakin University. So we did a lot of the, the kind of college or university um, track championships. And I found that it was really hard to kind of still fit that in because everything was on, you know, strict times. And I just didn't have that kind of flexibility anymore. So what I ended up gravitating towards was um, being in a gym. I, I still wanted to be fit and active, but I didn't really have a choice to do things that were, you know, part of a team or I had to be certain, uh, commit to certain times. So that's kind of how I transitioned, I guess, away from like group team sports into, I guess, lifting weights, if you call it that. Like <laughs> I cringe when I think about the types of workouts that I used to do and I was definitely a cardio bunny. So yeah, that's kind of how I moved into the nutrition space or at least, you know, sport nutrition. And then after I did my undergraduate um, degree in food science nutrition, I realized just how little I knew. And I I think to this day, I'd probably still continue to study if I didn't need to have a job. (laughs) So did my master's in dietetics uh, at Deakin as well. I did take a gap year and went off and did some other work during that time. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think fitness has always just been a part of my life, my lifestyle. And I guess it's still while I'm hanging out here today, 10 years later, literally. (laughs) Yeah, how good is that? And it's so common to hear people coming from sporting backgrounds because in high school, we, I remember we sort of had gym sessions in PE but they were just ridiculous and I too would just end up on the cardio as well because it's the easy yeah. default yeah. Uh, sport was really praised and and all of that and then you kind of grow up and you have more responsibilities and and realize well as you said no I can't commit to these team sports and times and people like us high achievers we want to be the best at everything we do right yeah. so <laughs> if you can't commit all right what can I be incredible at oh weight yeah. training a little bit more flexibility Nonetheless, it's still very hard work, but it's a little bit more in our time frame. So I find yeah. that the transition for both of us seemed happened quite similar as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do go from the, that sporting background to the cardio, to the running, and then finally you dabble in some weightlifting or some training. And then you can transition into, you know, something more extreme like competing. It really is a snowball effect. And I guess that's probably what it sounds like for you as well. Is that what you found moving into, I guess, the bodybuilding competing space? Yeah, I think when I first started, there was a lot of misinformation. So I wish, I mean, there are so many things that I wish I could just telepathically go back and communicate to my old self because there was so much that even that I had learned whilst at university that probably could be, you know, oh, I don't know how that much truth there was to that now, you know, even at a, a university level, or there just wasn't the, the time to kind of fit everything that you needed to know into a postgraduate degree. So um, yeah, it, it, it definitely felt like a little bit of a, a, a whirlwind and a lot of new information has certainly come since then, which I hope we can kind of get to chat about today. Mm. Yes, we're very excited. We're very excited. And um, I remember because I did a few uh, nutrition subjects at Deakin as well, and obviously nothing to your level because I've sort of just picked health sciences. So it's a little bit of everything. And and although they do, people try their best to teach everything, there was just so 
so much misinformation, like keep the protein quite low. And, and we went still off the food pyramid back then. This probably was about eight years ago or something mm. and, and just things like that. And it's so different now. And uh, obviously uh, with the flexible dieting, which will come into play and cause you know, uh, with obviously Lane who, who came up with that concept, we weren't yeah. learning that in uni, like, or imagine if we did in high school, things would be so different. Yeah, and I think part of the reason for that is that the topics that we kind of cover, you know, especially for my dietetics degree, they're not really physique related, which is Mm. crazy to think that because I think so many people immediately go, oh, you're a dietitian, so you help people manage their weight. So that's kind of one aspect of the dietetic um, qualification. But the reality is you're learning about so many different clinical medical conditions, mm. which is by and large what most dietitians probably do. I mean, I worked in cardiothoracic, I worked in renal and hepatic wards, I've worked in gastroenterology, like there's, I don't know, infectious disease, like mm. you wouldn't think that that's where a dietitian has a hat. But uh, it, that's certainly by and large where a lot of that, I guess, practical clinical stuff, that's where the time is spent. So physique um you know isn't really something that they really go into detail and especially not when it comes to optimizing body composition yeah absolutely and it's very new to this space especially like even women competing so it's it's Mm. a very new concept to actually use or manipulate you know your diet to get your body a certain way so with your background and everything holly what's what are some of the main differences uh for dieting for physique sports for a male and a female that you've come across with Um, honestly, there isn't really a huge difference. Uh, The way that I would approach a fat loss phase or a muscle building phase for a male is essentially exactly the same for a female. Uh, Obviously, the outcome is going to be quite different just based on our genetics. Um, And men obviously are able to make far more um, superior gains in a certain time frame compared to a woman, just because of our lean body mass alone and our size. But Uh, When it comes to the nitty gritty and what I would recommend for a male or a female when it comes to your protein intake or how we would set up somebody's initial calories or their macronutrient breakdown, so individual protein, carbohydrate and fat, it's pretty much the same. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned if you could um, telepathically go back and tell yourself, um, you know, the different ways. So what would that be compared to what you learnt at the time versus now, what would you have done different? What do you now know that works that you didn't learn back then? So I think the biggest thing that has really come to the forefront when in the nutrition community, in the scientific nutrition community, uh, it would be the concept of metabolic adaptation. So I'm sure you guys have had people talk about that on your podcast before and you guys are really familiar with it. So sorry if I'm... No, I'm no this is great. Elaborate. Anything. Yeah. Okay, cool. So... <laughs> I guess, yeah, the concept of metabolic adaptation um, is very new and we did not learn about it when I was at uh, university. So it's been something that I have like personally kind of thrown myself into and tried to learn and read about it. Um, And it would change about a thousand things that I would have done in my own career, particularly Mm -hmm. pertaining to achieving the body composition that I actually wanted. Mm -hmm. So I guess taking a step back, like what is metabolic adaptation? It's basically when our body tries to compensate for uh, inadequate calories coming in or um, I guess be, being on calorie in a calorie-restricted state. And you can achieve that through many different ways. So one would obviously be 
from your nutrition. So restricting calories, but you can also do that from just compensating by excessive amounts of activity. So by doing that, and again, depending on the degree of the calorie deficit that you've created or how much extra excess exercise you're doing, um, our body will try to compensate for that. And it's, to be honest, an amazing evolutionary response to how the human body works. Um, Because, you know, going back thousands of years ago, like we didn't have a plethora of food available. You know, we weren't um, able to go down, you know, the road and there's a hundred different cafes and restaurants that we could eat food at. You know, we Mm. had to hunt and find our food and there would be periods, extended periods of time where we had nothing to eat. So Mm. our body created this mechanism to help kind of, make us more efficient with the energy that we do have. So, you know, we, everything kind of slows down um, in response to that, which is why what we see happening with a lot of people, um, and it goes for men and women, probably more females, because I know women are very, you know, good at, you know, dieting, I guess, because mm. they want to be lean all the time. Mm. But it's why people can eat so little food yet be doing so much activity and they're unable to make change to their body weight. The the scale simply will not budge and they feel like they're burning the tank at both ends. They're already eating nothing and they're doing, you know, 12 plus hours a week of exercise and nothing happens. It's this concept of metabolic adaptation. Mm. And it's obviously something that we see time and time again, both myself and Danny as coaches, and I'm sure yourself, and in this space, you hear of females like spending a prolonged period of time in a deficit um, or under eating for so long and they do adapt and they're the ones that are sort of saying, you know, I'm eating this amount of calories and I'm not losing weight. You know, so what would be some of the things that you would do differently, I guess, knowing about this metabolic adaptation? Yeah, so I guess um, to counter that, um, and my husband Lane, he mentioned him before, so I guess his nickname online for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, uh, Dr. Lane Norton, he's bio Lane. He kind of coined the concept of the reverse diet. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it aims to do is the same way that our metabolism can adapt um, negatively to restricted calorie intakes or excessive amounts of exercise we can also adapt in a positive way by the gradual reintroduction of calories. So um, something that I would have done differently if I had have known that we are very adaptive is probably not try to spend as much time as I did eating 1200 calories as an Mm. 18 or 19 year old, which is ridiculous. Um, And actually worked through that process of reverse dieting well, 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 like back into my teens because it really can change the game so far as having the flexibility to eat the foods that you want to eat, actually feel good when you're training, have energy, perform well, your strength is great. Your body feels good when you can eat a lot of calories. And I think I spent so many years eating nothing and trying to burn the candle at both ends, like copious amounts of high intensity workouts, like hours every week, (laughs) trying to make progress. And I really just kind of set myself up for failure because now my metabolism for the better part of my 20s was in a really shitty space. And it took me a lot of work. In fact, I've probably done no less than seven reverse diets or intentional muscle building phases more recently Mm. just to get myself out of that predicament. So that would be the biggest thing that 
I would have gone back and said, let's do this differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really That's, good point. We live and we learn. I mean, um, it's really cool to have, you were one of the first people that I followed when I wanted to learn about nutrition and I love everything that you stand for. And because I suppose as young women, a lot of us thought, okay, we must eat 1200 calories, uh, yeah. runs, play sport and all of that. So it's really cool to have you yeah. continue to preach this and, and live by that. I mean, you've won two world champion uh, bodybuilding shows. You've done 15 in total, was it? Just confirming. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. Like you've gone through the deficits, you've gone through the building phases and it's really cool to see that. Um, yeah. From your first show to your 15th, are your protocols different or do you keep, does your body, like how do you sort of adjust based on one show after the other? Because we hear it a lot. People come to us and say, well, this method used to work for me, but it doesn't work anymore. Mm. Have you had to make drastic changes or the way that you've engineered your body? Is it like, how's, how's the difference from your first to your last? Gosh, there's a lot in that. Um, There's so many things that I would probably want to touch on. So I think the first thing would probably be just my body composition um, from going back to 2015. I think that was my first show. My last show was in December of last year in 2019. So there's like a four-year timestamp of all of those shows. Um, The main thing that I have changed, I guess, first and foremost was the introduction of reverse dieting um, between each of my big shows. So uh, when I first started, I never really gave myself enough time in the off season. So I would do a show maybe in March when the season kind of started. I would maybe have like eight weeks break. And then there was another show that I wanted to do, um, which would be in like May or June. And then you'd be off to Worlds. And that was like a four week or five week break. So I never gave myself a full amount of time to recover. So that's probably been one of the biggest things. So now... Um, between my seasons, I usually try to take a minimum of nine months off between big shows. And that gives me a sufficient amount of time to actually restore my metabolism because we know the act of dieting in itself causes decreases to our resting metabolic rate. There is potential for decreases to our lean body mass, just being in a deficit. You can't possibly lose all the weight just from fat mass alone particularly as we get leaner, that becomes even higher a risk. Mm. So during that nine months, I really try to get my calories back to a normal amount. And if I've got time, the thing that I do most differently now is that I I just hang out there and I'm working on intentionally eating in a surplus to build the muscle to help me bring in a better physique in the preceding year. So I guess, yeah, my strategy has changed insofar as I give myself more time off. Yeah. not dieting I'm really selective with the shows that I would pick mm-hmm. I would make sure that you know this is going to be the best body that I can possibly bring I'm not coming in with a, a half body yeah <laughs> and yeah I just really make sure that I prioritize my health yeah really so important. health yeah. should always be at that the front you know of of any sort of prep or you know body composition um goals right but with you you know i remember watching um you know your youtube series like keeping up with holly and watching you go through your prep to worlds and you know there was some episodes where i almost sat there and cried with you watching how hard <laughs> you had to do it so i remember seeing you put on um the weight vest to try and yep. like counteract some of that metabolic adaptations what yep. was your experience could you explain like um some of the science behind why you did that and whether it worked or not yeah, sure. So 
I think one of the things that happens is when we go through a fat loss phase, obviously over time, you're going to be losing a certain amount of total body mass. Um, and with that, obviously, there's actually less of an energy requirement. So you're not going to be expending quite as many calories because you don't have the same mass that is needed to kind of drive you know, your day-to-day movement. So the idea or the concept behind adding a weight vest is that it basically keeps your body weight at a consistent weight or a mass, and that therefore leads to you ending up uh, expending more energy throughout the day. So if you can imagine like me, I just stand here, right here in my computer, in front of my computer all day with clients. Mm. But if I'm in a lighter or a smaller body, there's less work that I have to do. Now, if I put a 20 pound weight vest on, I'm heavier. My body has to do more work to support me. So I guess for all the weight that I lose, ideally, I probably would have actually done things a little bit differently now. Um, Having gone through that experience, I probably would have just matched or tried to match the weight that I was losing each week Um, because going straight up to the 20 pounds was quite aggressive at the beginning. So I really felt the effects just through my neck, if anything, to be honest. Um, so the idea would be that, you know, after you've lost, say the first five pounds, then you'd add a five pound weight vest. And then when you're at 10 pounds, maybe go to the 10 pounds. So you're just trying to match the weight that you're losing Mm. to counter any of the, um, decreased energy expenditure. I've never heard of that before. Sorry that I missed that YouTube series, but I'd love to go back and watch them, but that's really cool. Like, would, would that be something that you recommend for clients to do? Or is that just something that you did? Like, I've never, that's really cool. I want, yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's quite a few um, of the, I guess, science experts that have done this. Mm. And we've definitely been able to make really good progress without having to go to the caloric deficit. So, you know, I guess that's one of the really challenging things about a contest prep is that, you know, in order to continue making progress, it usually means we have to keep dropping calories yeah. and or doing a lot more exercise to kind of ensure that you're in a deficit. So um, by adding in that vest, it kind of mitigates some of the need to continue dropping calories mm-hmm. because you've still got the mass that you started with. So you're still burning a little bit more energy as a result. So it really helped me not have to push my calories so low God, I hate to think what I would have had to have done because I'm already really sedentary with my work. Like, honestly, I get all my steps at the gym and then I probably do another thousand at most during the day. So that was the biggest difficulty or struggle for me was I had to keep my calories really low. And I got a lot of flack for that on my video series on YouTube Mm. because they're like, wow, you've got so much muscle, Holly. You have 58 kilos of lean body mass. And you're on 12, 30 calories for the last couple of weeks of your show. But I think people really forget that, you know, everyone has a different lifestyle and occupation. I don't move. Like I'm so, (laughs) so that was a really good way for me to kind of counter some of that. And I'd hate to think what I would have been on (laughs) otherwise, but Hey, the life of a drug free athlete. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Exactly. But people don't uh, like think like, you know, 58 kilos, it's a light human. It's a small female. So I think, you know, calories are really relative and it is uh, commonly seen people comparing calories to each other and looking at people that can maintain their body weight on 3000 and thinking, well, what's wrong with me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I remember reading, um, I was reading the ebook, you know, um, about, the oh what was it fat loss fat loss forever fat loss forever it scared me holly (laughs) 
like I'm not sure. What do you mean? Or just reading about, you know, some of the science behind what can happen through writing. I was like, I'm not sure if I ever want to go through a diet again. It was almost a bit scary. (laughs) I think think it wasn't meant to scare people. For those that are listening, um, the book is Sherelle's Limiting Beliefs coming up. It's a great educational resource and she clearly needed it. Yeah, <laughs> it's called it's called Fat Loss Forever. Um, it's actually uh, written by my husband Lane Norton, so I think that's the book that you're talking about. Um, we also talk about some of the adaptive mechanisms and also like realistic calories based on your lean body mass and your activity levels. Um, we've written that in our book, The Reverse Dieting Guide, as well. So right. um, that's a really good point that you make. I think a lot of people like compare. I can't tell you the number of times people would message me and say, hey, what are your current macro targets? And I think it's happening <laughs> much less. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, that has no no meaning to you. Knowing Why? what I do is completely pointless. And I think, again, it's part of just that education and the understanding of what goes into somebody's individual requirements. Yeah. But um, in our book, The Reverse Dieting Guide, we actually have a really great table, which kind of gives you a bit of an indication about hey, are my current calorie intakes normal based on one, my lean body mass and two, my activity levels. So I created a table that one of them is for people with an activity factor of, I think it was less than 1.4. And then there's another table, which is for people with a higher daily activity expenditure, which is like 1.4 plus. Um, And then some estimations for like, low calorie intakes based on those things or those metrics, normal calorie intakes, and then what's high. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with clients and certainly what we kind of had integrated into our nutrition coaching app is like when you get to this high point, we'll give them a notification. Like I'm working one-on-one, I'll say, hey, like you're in a really good calorie bracket based on how much muscle you have. So just roughly speaking, I think for the listeners, if you're wanting to know, hey, are my calorie intakes actually okay? I think if you are just modestly active, and again, there's there is some flux in this, I'll just be somewhere in the middle, Mm. 35 to 45 calories per kilogram of lean body mass would be within what we consider a normal calorie range. If you're attempting to reverse diet and you want to restore your metabolism to its like utmost potential, we'd really want to encourage you to push your intakes beyond 45 calories per kilogram of lean body mass. Mm -hmm. Now for me, like right now, like where my metabolism is due to years of dieting, even I can still only get up to say like 42, which is just normal. And that's at the peak of my reverse because I just can't go beyond that. I kind of really thrashed my metabolism when I was young. And there's also, um, I guess, the idea that some people are responders or they have adaptive metabolisms and some people don't have adaptive metabolisms and they're non-responders. So I don't know about you guys and your calorie intake, but maybe you've compared. But sometimes like I'll find, you know, I've got some of my closest friends that I train with, they're much smaller than me, but they can take their calories like up to 2,600 calories in their off season and they stay relatively lean. They're not crazy active. They do no cardio. It's just mm-hmm. they're lifting and they're 20 pounds, 30 pounds lighter than me. They have adaptive metabolisms. Yeah. Some people, I'm probably one of them. I just 
don't have an adaptive metabolism. Mm. Now, whether that's due to like our dieting history or our exercise mm. history or whether there's a genetic component to that, I guess it's still very unknown. We definitely need a little, little bit more time in the academic world to kind of figure all of this stuff out. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something um, I wanted to ask you about. So the three sort of types of metabolisms that there are, so the efficient, inefficient and adaptive. Would you mm-hmm. mind sort of explaining the difference between the three? Yeah, so I guess it's kind of similar to what I just said. So um, I guess let's put, put a, like a situation together. So maybe somebody is dieting. Um, what we recommend is when you take a calorie deficit, you want to make sure that you're reducing your calories by a meaningful amount so that your metabolism doesn't just adapt. Mm-hmm. We want it to be enough for there to be a noticeable change and that you actually lose weight. But if you are somebody that has a slow metabolism or they're a non-adapter, you might have to really push your calories by a significant amount, so lower them by quite a lot, just to get a response because you're just, you have a very like stubborn metabolism. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, some people that have very adaptive metabolisms and the example I gave before was some of my friends that are 30 pounds lighter than me who can eat like four or 500 calories more than me doing the same training. Um, that person may only need a very small calorie decrease and they respond immediately. So I guess, and then you've got your just normal metabolism where you, the change that results is what we would expect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess, we can't, we're not all blessed with fast metabolisms, but it doesn't mean you can't attempt to make changes. Yeah. And I think the best thing that we can do, even if we still have a, a slow metabolism and when it comes to dieting, we still have to make pretty big decreases to lose the weight. What we can work on is giving ourselves more flexibility just in our normal day-to-day life. So I don't know anybody that has said, hey, you know, I wouldn't want to be able to eat x amount of calories and be able to have the flexibility to eat all their favorite foods so we probably can push our metabolism to a certain point and that would give us the flexibility to go out and have an entree a main and dessert and a few drinks Mm. and just be happy with our body weight Mm. um it might take a little bit of work to get there but at least you've now worked to get that flexibility When it comes time to dieting, you might still have the same difficulties that you've had before. But I think if your ultimate goal is just to get to a place where you have some flexibility to eat and drink the things you want, then go for it. Reverse diet and get yourself to a really good place. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome message there. And I think it is important that we can't always be in a dieting phase is what you said. One of the big things that you've done different, you gave yourself sort of nine months off between shows to allow that reverse diet and, and I suppose we do need to earn that right to be flexible. We can't be on a small, tiny amount of calories in a deficit and, and still <laughs> expect to have a lot of our favourite foods. Um, yeah. We sort of have to earn that right, build things back up a little bit and then start to incorporate it. But a lot of it's in the mindset as well. I mean, did you have to sort of change your thoughts and, and your ways of thinking when it came from a long period of time of being in a deficit to actually committing to a building phase? Oh, absolutely. I think it's probably one of the most challenging things I've had to go through. And I think for any competitor, 
Um, I think a lot of us form a bit of an identity with a certain body composition and there's a lot of fear of judgment um, and, you know, just negativity around the idea that you put on some body fat. So I think the first challenge that I had was really just kind of getting over myself (laughs) and realizing like, okay, well, who, like this person might say, what's she, what's she doing? She's let herself go. Oh, she's put on 10 kilos. Um, but the reality was like, that's what I needed to do in order to improve my body, to build the muscle. And then, you know, you can always get rid of body fat, but yeah. you can't magically click your fingers and have more muscles. So if you want a certain physique and you know, you need to add probably five kilos of mass over your entire body to be competitive with the best gals in your division, well, then it probably, there's going to be a time where you need to just learn how to accept that little bit of extra body fat, because you're not going to build the muscle if you don't have the energy available to lay down new tissue. Simple as that, but it's hard mentally, very hard. (laughs) Yeah. And body positivity and, you know, that talk about weight gain is like really, I guess, uh, trending right now because it is such a prevalent thing that a lot of women struggle with is this fact that, you know, especially if you're competing, if you're going to extremes, you need to be pushing yourself to maintenance and plus and like having a controlled surplus so that you can restore your metabolic health and everything. So it's Mm -hmm. really cool to see yourself like setting an example um, and doing that. And it, it makes like everyone should really take on board that, you know, to be the best, you've got to be able to turn the volume up and turn it down and ingrain some of that flexibility which is you know what you're really well known for is that flexibility yeah I think it probably I don't know whether it comes across as easy I've certainly tried to be really transparent Mm. uh, in the last couple of years with you know all of the experiences because I know a lot of you know the social media um, especially the fitspos um, Mm. really don't give you a good look at both sides of that story Um, They only show you the positive stuff. And, you know, even me looking back, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, they look like they have this perfect life. Mm. And then I'm like, hang on, just snap out of it. Like, Mm. you know, (laughs) you're not seeing the negative stuff. So I really try to, like, in my YouTube series especially, Mm. like, say it how it is. If I've had a tough week, if I overate, if I felt like I emotionally ate or binge ate, Um, I would talk about that and, you know, give some validation and reasons for why these things can happen um, and not be so self-critical about it. Because for a competitor, when you are pushing yourself to the, you know, leanest version of yourself, there are so many changes that occur to our, our body physiologically, but on a hormonal level that drive a lot of the way that we feel and think. So I think a lot of people have this um, idea that, well, maybe there's something wrong with them. Why can't I do this? Why is it so hard for me? Why am I always thinking about food? Why do I keep wanting to binge eat? But you have hormonal changes that are telling you to eat, eat, eat. So that was something that I really had to kind of let go of and just understand that that's a normal response to what I was doing to my body so you know transitioning out of it it's never easy but there are certainly a lot of things um, that you can do to just practice being a bit more I guess kind to your body nourish your body when it needs it be kind to yourself and fake it till you make it (laughs) even if you don't like the body that you see 
Yeah. Tell yourself, like, I love, yeah, this body is good. Like, yes, yeah. I really like this. I'm getting, I'm okay with this body. Yeah. So, and eventually the more you say that out loud, like it starts to become easier to just be. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love agree. that. Yeah. I was thinking about this like yesterday, actually, you know, it's really easy to love the parts of ourselves that we love, um, mm-hmm. but it's just as important to accept what you don't love and be okay with that. It doesn't mean that you've got like confidence issues or self-esteem issues. Yeah. We all have parts about our physique that we don't like. And I think mm-hmm. as athletes as well and physique competitors, we're constantly looking in the mirror and assessing our body. So it's what it's, we're judged on and everyone's on. validating that. Oh, you're looking so good. Your abs are coming in. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. You're amazing. We get addicted to that. Like as much as we don't want to admit it, it feels nice getting yeah. confident, you know? Yeah, I noticed that just the last couple of weeks. I'm doing a photo shoot next week with Lane just for our website. We needed to update some videos and photos. So it's been, what, 12 months since I've kind of been stage lean. And just in the last two weeks, a few people have kind of come up in the gym and they're like, oh, you're leaning out. Like, you look great. And I'm like, please, like, I, you know, you're going to be gracious and say thank you. But part of me was like, I wish that our society didn't put this lean physique up on a pedestal because it's, you know, a lot of the time it's so unrealistic to sustain. And it's almost like, some in some point over the last 10 years our society has gone from praising skinny women like you know model stick thin women to now on the opposite side of things on the other side of the pendulum it's the really muscular athletic women like embrace strength and embrace power but you've got to be lean you can't have any body fat on top of that yeah. it's, like, <laughs> it's, oh, it's so funny even yeah. um even at work like I'd be like two weeks out from a show and I'd be in scrubs so you can't see anything and people would be like you look great and I'm like I feel like I am like so hungry I'm so lean on this but they're like oh you look so little you look great you know so it is that still you know people do compliments and you know weight loss isn't a glow up it's it's mm-hmm. just something that we do as a part of the sport but society naturally rewards that and it's only natural for people to sort of you know, get addicted to that feeling and vice versa, you know, the letting yourself go compliment, which yeah, you caught that the other week, didn't you? I saw on your social media. that on social media, yeah, and having a drink out and it's like, oh, you've you haven't had a go. drink in so long. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's society for you. And I think it's really important. And that Holly, you'll probably be able to relate as well with you, you know, your following that you can't let those nasty comments, um, you know, impact your feeling you've just got to be able to sort of push them to the side and be like they don't understand you know it's part of the process there's 10 kilos and there's 10 kilos and like I haven't let myself go yeah and I think yeah a lot of it is just lack of education most of the time I think when you actually explain um you know the the process of acquiring new muscle like people kind of go oh Oh, okay. But no one ever, they, they'll praise the body they see in the lean, leanest state. They won't praise the body they see in the biggest state, but they all want that and they're not willing yeah. to actually go through it themselves. So they'll probably just stay there forever and that's okay. That's fine. But mm. yeah, there's, mm. I think usually education um, and explaining kind of how we actually get to this end point, people kind of have that awe moment. And then it's like, uh, a continuum of growing and learning themselves how to get through that stage and it kind of becomes easier and easier over time the more you do it the more comfortable or it's probably not comfortable but you just kind of become more accepting of that change so yeah I was really kind of going I guess balls deep into the Hayes community I don't know if you're familiar with that it's the 
health at every size. So there's a strong community um, who really push that. And I've listened to quite a few podcasts and really followed up with some of the dietitians actually that are really on board with, with that. And I, I have mixed feelings because there's a lot of um, kind of just blinkers on. They're not really acknowledging some of the research, I guess, going into the physique side of things that we now have available. Like they don't really acknowledge the concept of, you know, the possibility of, hey, you might, you might be able to do a reverse diet and actually be able to eat a little bit more and you could potentially do things way easier than all of those horrible diets you've attempted in your life. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think the more we talk about it and kind of just accepting um, the transitional changes that happen for physique competitors, like the more it's going to become accepted. So we just have to talk about it. I think mm-hmm. that's really the, the problem, the way to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think something interesting as well um, is, you know, that I guess that conversation about the intuitive eating, which might fall under that banner of the group that you're talking about. So, you know, what's your sort of thoughts on, you know, intuitive eating versus tracking calories and getting people to sort of do both? Yeah, so I don't, I think intuitive, a lot of people would think that intuitive eating is a type of diet that you can use for effective weight loss. And it's really not the case at all. I use intuitive eating uh, for people that have really struggled with disordered eating or eating disorders, um, or for the people that have kind of just gotten to a place, they've gone through many phases of life with different types of diets. Um, They've tried tracking, they've tried X, they've tried Y, and nothing really kind of gelled with them. And they just kind of gravitate back to this place where they're like, I just don't feel like I, I want to or I have a need to be so rigid or keep track of things. And that's fine. But I think if we look at this from the perspective of a competitor, I don't think that intuitive eating is something that we can expect to do um, probably within the, the first six months post show, even being perfectly frank. And that is because of the hormonal changes um, that take place when we are in that kind of a deficit and the amount of time that it can take for those to fully recover. I think once we're into that recovery phase where you're back to, as I mentioned before, the normal kind of calorie intake and you feel like you have enough flexibility to eat the foods that you want, then I think stepping away from, you know, tracking macros, flexible dieting um, and focusing more about learning to relearn uh, intuitive sorry that are uh, learning to listen to our hunger cues and you know when are we actually hungry not eating on the clock or necessarily eating to oh I've got 35 grams of carbs left yeah. I'm not hungry but I'm going to eat it because yeah. this says I've got 35 so grams true. of carbs yeah. left so, so yeah. just kind of getting back in touch with the body's normal way of doing things like we have these hormones for a reason mm. so I, I like to use it in people's off-season I might encourage them to use, you know, pra- tracking their protein, but then intuitively you choose what you think you need for protein, uh, for carbohydrates and fats. But as far as an, a strategy for fat loss or for a strategy for competitors coming out of a show or getting into shape for a show, it's just not possible because if you're trying to diet, your hormones are going to intervene very quickly yeah. and they're going to tell you to eat. So there goes intuitive eating because you'll just eat and then you wouldn't actually get lean enough for show. 
Mm, so. yeah, exactly right. Mm. That's yeah. six months yeah. as well, you know. I think people uh, underestimate like the recovery process when you go through mm-hmm. a diet and it doesn't even have to be like a comp prep. It could be like any sort of extreme diet that anyone goes through. Coming out the back of it, it does take like a significant uh, amount of time to restore those those hormonal levels and not even just physiologically but psychologically as well. You know, some of the mm-hmm. habits that people don't talk about, licking plates and like doing these <laughs> sorts of things that no one talks about. It's serious right (laughs) and I it's it's funny even though so leptin is one of the appetite regulating hormones that decreases significantly during a prep um some of the other ones are our thyroid stimulating hormone our TSH TH3 testosterone for women often goes down as well um and what we've actually seen in a few of the studies actually that kind of look at contest prep competitors um, drug-free in that post-recovery is that even after six months and body fat levels have returned to normal or to baseline, some of these hormones still have not fully recovered to their baseline starting levels. Mm. So it's not normal at that. It's still not uncommon, I should say, for people to be experiencing like hunger or some of the, as you've mentioned, those abnormal thoughts about food, feelings about food, because they're not actually recovered, even if the calories are back and their body fat's back. So okay. it just goes to show the extent and what dieting can do. And it's why I'm so adamant about it with clients. You know, if we're going to do this fat loss phase, let's do it. Let's not stuff around and waste more time on restrictive calories than we need, because this is what happens to the body. Like you, it's a serious thing. You shouldn't yeah. be messing with this. Mm. Yeah, I find post comp a lot harder mm. than the actual diet because the dieting you've just focused, you've, you've, you're calculating everything, and then kind of at the back of it, it's your hormones are still recovering, as you said, and it can even take yeah up to six months, and then you know you start to become social again, and your friends are there. Come on, you haven't been out with us in a while, and, and yeah. all of that. I just find that period so much harder and there's a fine line between giving yourself the extra calories, but then like you don't want to push it too far. So how would you? Yeah guide someone in a in a healthy reverse diet then while incorporating the things that they still love to eat and to do yeah look that's a really great question and it's there's probably going to be a component of individualism in there because everyone's a little bit different and they have different values um what i mean by that is some people they don't care you know after their show they don't mind if they put four or five pounds on two and a half three kilos in just a couple of days because they just want to start feeling normal again. Like they were so traumatized from their contest press that they're like, you know what, just give me the calories. I want to be able to eat, eat a normal amount of food again. I don't care about the recovery process and how much body fat I put on. Mm -hmm. Um, On the contrary, you'll have other people that are absolutely adamant that they want to hold on to all of their um, stage gains or how lean they are. And it's a really tough transition for them back out. But I think just kind of setting them up ahead of time to know that that's not something that you are going to be able to hang on to long term it's not a realistic goal but in that case like you could do a slow transition so a really conservative approach Um, but that means it's going to feel kind of like a diet for another you know 16 weeks or more if we're taking really small increases so that they have time to adapt to their new body Um, But that also can just draw out the inevitable. Um, I think a lot of people kind of just need to get through that initial sticking phase so that they're back to feeling good, their strengths return, performance in the gym is good, motivation's back, 
they're sleeping better, sex drives back. Like there's so many negative things that can come out of um, the contest prep that you kind of just need to get to the point where you're back to normal. And that might mean a more aggressive approach. So it's so like you really have to kind of talk to the individual first to find out. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, because I agree with you, Danny. Like either taking a slow reverse, it can be like pulling teeth. Otherwise, you know, just jumping into more of a recovery diet and getting back up to where you need to be could be a better mm. strategy, especially if you've gotten comp or stage lean. You know, spending extra time in essentially a deficit or, a, mm. or under recovering is really not worth it if you're like a seasonal competitor, in my opinion. Yeah, I think something that I normally say to my clients, and it, it kind of depends again on the division um, that they're competing in. So yeah. what I say to a bikini competitor or a fitness or figure girl is probably different since mm. they are not quite as lean as a fitness or figure they might not be feeling the same effects and they might not have had to take their calories as low. But yeah. overall, I think the message I usually say is, okay, what is the minimum? What is, yeah, what's the most amount of calories um, that you would feel comfortable consuming to the point that you know you're not going to end up binge eating? Like I want you to feel like you have enough where you can fit the foods that you want and you're not ravenous and you're going to go out of control. So that's usually probably a good three or 400, maybe 500 calories from their, you know, peak week, lowest calories to where they start their first reverse diet. So that's a bit of a guideline for what I would do. Yeah, because obviously, like, if you binge, like, then that defeats the whole purpose and you want to do everything that you can to sort of avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. Something I was going to ask you about, Holly, was, you know, something that you speak about a lot and that's that um, maintenance calories window is more of like that <laughs> shifting target, which is something that, you know, you've put a lot of information on um, about. And I think it's something that our listeners would really benefit from learning a little bit more about. Yeah, so um, the maintenance calories. So I think a lot of people assume that it is a static number. So, okay, if I eat 2,000 calories a day or I eat 1,500 calories a day, um, those that particular amount is going to help me maintain my weight. The reality is it's probably more like plus or minus 7 to 10% either side. So if you ate you know, a little bit more or you ate a little bit less than your maintenance calorie target, you're probably going to find that your weight doesn't shift around too much. So um, I guess how does that play into like a fat loss phase? How does that play into a reverse diet? Um, I mentioned before when you want to start a fat loss, there's a reason why we don't just do a small change. And that is because if your calorie decrease is um, small, there's a very good chance, again, it may just adapt and part of your maintenance calorie range. So, um, and the same goes for, you know, a muscle building phase or a reverse diet, but that's kind of the goal for a reverse diet. You want to do small increases so that you can drive your metabolism forward without any changes to your body composition or your body weight. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, I guess we have a lot of information about that in the reverse dieting guide and Mm. all of our other books, the contest prep guide, fat loss Mm. forever that you've read. So, yeah, is there something specific that you wanted me to talk about that topic on? 
It was more just about, you know, I found it really interesting how it moves. So I yeah. think it explains a lot for people when they feel like they're stuck at a diet or a number or a certain amount of calories. And as well, like the opposite side, like you said, you know, a lot of, um, I don't want to be sexist, but a lot of females don't push their calories the other way when, and sort of realizing that if they did push it, they could actually just move that window up. And then, like you said, live a more flexible lifestyle without accumulating a whole heap of body fat. Yeah. So, okay. I get what you're saying. Um, I think when we diet, obviously there's going to be a point where you kind of hit a plateau and you're no longer losing weight. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is because a, you've lost uh, total body mass and you now have lesser um, total daily energy requirements because there's not as much of you. Um, but also, as I mentioned before, that there's that metabolic adaptation approach. Mm-hmm. So your body kind of adapts beyond what we would predict with an equation. So Again, you can kind of, when you start a diet, your metabolism or your maintenance calories might be up here, you know, and then at the end of the fat loss phase, um, you may have lost a certain amount of weight, um, but your maintenance calorie range is much lower than what we would predict. Um, And again, that's due to that adaptive response. So I think knowing that it can move around is a really exciting concept and with a little bit of work, you can drive it in a positive direction and you are not stuck where you are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's great to highlight. I feel like people are still uh, just trying to find the one size fits all approach or what's the best thing that that for me and, and everything, but it does change whether it's uh, from ourselves from last year to this year, our numbers are going to be different. The amount of physical Mm. activity we need is different. Um, So I love that you've been able to highlight here that things are so different and we must, measure and calculate you know where we're at in all elements our physical activity our calories coming in um yeah yeah because it will change there's no one size fits all it's about asking for help you know reading your book so everyone who's listening here make sure you come <laughs> on holly and, and lane as well have incredible resources out there filled with education uh so yeah educate yourselves and and ask for guidance that's really what it's about it just takes out a lot of the guesswork because if we're not monitoring and and tracking things you'll just spin around in circles and that's where i think yeah. get lost and speaking to that like monitoring and tracking i think there are so many variables that kind of play into energy balance that people don't think about that can be a cause for you to plateau in your fat loss journey so Um, we actually did a presentation um, a few months ago we did an online seminar for people it was like a seven hour presentation so um, in this video or in this presentation we talked about some of the variables that cause weight to fluctuate Um, so the first thing I think I I mentioned was um, tracking so just how accurate people track is obviously Mm -hmm. going to impact um, their overall compliance to that target And if they are skipping a handful of things and they're not tracking just sauces or dressings Mm. or, you know, an extra teaspoon of yogurt before you put the lid back on, just little (laughs) things like that, like it all can add up. And if you're not tracking like sweeteners, you know, I've been using a powdered sucralose at home. I do not track it. And I just randomly threw it on the scale the other day for my coffee, which is like a giant cup. Mm. And I had like four grams of powdered sucralose in my coffee. And I'm like, yeah. So there's three or four grams of carbohydrate that I hadn't been tracking and I have a couple yeah. of coffees a day. So mm. that's one of the main things, but just little things like changing the amount of dietary fiber that makes up your carbohydrate. So if that's fluctuating, there's reason for 
changes to your energy balance due to the thermic effect of food. Um, If you're constantly changing your macronutrients over and you're just tracking calories, but not individual macros, again, each of the macronutrients has a different thermic effect. So post digestion, there is either more or less energy available to us. And that can impact our weight on the sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have like sodium, like the food that you ate last night was at a takeaway meal and loaded with so much more salts that you would normally eat. And you're up two pounds or a kilo, you know, the next morning. There are just so yeah. many things that can interfere with just the number on the scale. So I guess like if you are in a fat loss phase, it's so important to kind of monitor all of those things and look at your daily fiber and track your sodium um, because it helps you um, understand the numbers that you're seeing and then know whether to actually make a change to your targets or not. Mm, yeah, really good point. And we did have um, Luke Tellick on the podcast who was talking about the importance of weighing in daily. Um, and it's really important to be able to do that, especially as well for women. A lot of girls freak themselves out about the scale weight around that period. I know mine goes up a couple of kilos and it's yeah. really easy to be like, oh, cut calories, you know, like something's not working. But we do sometimes tie an emotional attachment to the number without looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. And I think it's important for the girls, like it's normal for our weight to fluctuate anywhere from say two, I've seen up to 4% of someone's body weight around that time. Mm -hmm. And it depends on, I guess, their hormones too. So the key reason that we see that fluctuation is during the second phase of our cycle, uh, we tend to have a drastic increase in the amount of progesterone that we produce and a decrease in estrogen. And it's that change or fluctuation in hormones that actually results almost in a similar effect to how sodium operates. We end up just holding on to a lot more water. Mm. Um, and then there's obviously some other changes that can happen as far as our ability to execute strength and things like that. So there's also some other like strategies that you can apply to training. If you know you're getting your period, like it's not the week to be doing one rep max testing. Yeah, <laughs> probably the, the week to uh, do your deload and not be so, um, I guess, perfectionist mindset during that week yeah. and give yourself a little bit of grace because it's normal for that fluctuation. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But if you're not weighing yourself daily, right, and you weigh yourself like week two of your cycle and then, you know, just before you get your period and you're like, I've gained two kilos this month, you know, yeah. it's it's that's why that, um, you know, if you're not measuring, you're guessing. So more data is always better. I suppose I don't weigh myself, not to go against what you're saying, I can understand why, but I suppose you're, I don't want everyone to just all of a sudden jump on the scale every day. Mm. Like it's, yeah, so it really just depends if you're in the right mindset. Obviously you're very, um, you've got no emotion to the numbers and that's great. But for some of our listeners, maybe it's not the right thing to do well. But just know it is normal for the numbers to change, whether you do weigh yourself daily or not. Just as long as you're in the right frame of mind, uh, I think that is important. But yeah, yeah. good point. Good point. Yeah, something that we um, tend to look at most, um, and it's the way that we do things on our carbon nutrition coaching app, is that we'll look at a three-week rolling average. So rather than taking individual weigh-ins, which people freak out about, and I can't tell you the number of like support tickets we get, and they're like, but my weight was like this much today. And we're like, you know, that's just one individual data point. We're looking at not only the seven days of the weight entries you provided with us, and we're taking an average. Mm -hmm. We're then comparing this week's weight average with last week's average and we're looking for the trend over time so yeah I think people really get hung up on individual numbers so for anyone listening whether you do just take your weight 
you know, once a week or you're doing it multiple times like you, you know, a few times a week, it's more important to look at the trend over a two or three week period rather than just one way in in isolation. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. There are lots of variables in this and um, we hear about, you know, intermittent fasting, keto, all the different diets, low carbs, high fats, and we don't have to go into each one individually, but is there any, um, any dieting uh, protocol that you would love to see eradicated one that just people should not be doing but it's very popular or do you feel like there's a time and a place for for anything um yeah there's probably a couple that i would say are a bit of a red flag i know the carnivore diet has become super popular Mm -hmm. um in you know certain groups of folks and um, Lane actually recently did a debate uh, against one of the carnival kings and uh, oh, really obliterated one. him God, with I the research. <laughs> Basically, said that we don't need plants and that the um, the phytites and things can kill us. So, oh yeah, I mean, it, I think it, part of the reason that people <laughs> fall into these different dieting groups is because the I think humans want to feel like they belong. Like it's nice yeah. to be a part of a group, and you kind of really get you know, pulled into some of the the belief systems. And unfortunately, if you don't have a nutrition background um, and you've got someone that's got an eight pack that's up there saying, hey, this is the best diet for you. Hollywood abs. Yeah. Um, It's very tempting to believe that. So if you don't have a scientific background, especially, um, and understanding how to, you know, look up studies and interpret the results and come up with a conclusion, like, it would be really challenging as an everyday person to decide, okay, what should I be doing? So I think if there was one that I would uh, avoid, like the plague, it would be the carnivore diet. It's just basically all meat. Um, there's a lot of uh, research in the field, I guess, of saturated fats and high consumption of meat diet and very low uh, fiber diet um, and long-term health consequences. It's just not very good. <laughs> so yeah. That's probably the main one. Um, When it comes to like the ketogenic diet or uh, intermittent fasting or what else is there? Come on, girls, throw a few around. Paleo, I don't know. Yeah, they're probably the main one that we still hear about. Vegan, I guess. Or the Um, detox one where you just have shakes for like seven days. (laughs) Or water water fasting. Actually, there's a lot. There's heaps. All you've got to do is like. I think anything that eliminates whole food groups, I have a bit of an issue with. Um, There's a reason why we encourage people to eat a variety of foods, and that's because we can consume a wide variety of micronutrients, um, specifically dietary fiber, you know. So those things are really important, and there's so much evidence to support, you know, how that can positively influence our health long term. Um, As far as vegan and vegetarian diets are concerned, I think that that's fine. Uh, a lot of like zealots will try and argue that it's superior uh, for long-term health outcomes, but in actual fact, it's not. Um, again, there is a need for, you know, protein and certain types of protein can facilitate muscle growth and hypertrophy. And there's something to be said for having, you know, a good amount of lean mass or just having strength as we get older. So yeah, there isn't anything that I would say can't be used for successful fat loss or can't be used or shouldn't be used for a successful muscle building phase. Mm-hmm. I truly think that it comes down to, okay, if we know that one calories are set accurately for the goal, protein is set accurately for your lean body mass and activity levels, then how you choose to distribute your carbohydrates and fats 
through whatever dieting approach you choose, keto, balanced diet, you know, low carb, high fat, reverse, like it's completely up to you. Um, And I think just for me, I've experimented with so many and I think you girls probably have two over the years, Mm. different ratios. And eventually just with practice and time, you'll find something that kind of fits with you. Mm, It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that it's superior. It just works for you as an individual. So I only have a problem when someone tries to argue that it's better and you should do it this way when it's probably not the case. You know, everybody has different preferences for foods. So, you know. (laughs) Really well said. And I think, you know, so much of what we do on a daily basis, including what we put in our mouth is, you know, from habits and routines and our culture and growing up and, you know, even for myself, like I love a high protein diet. I'm a natural meat eater. So for me yeah. to like eat on the lower side, it's abnormal. And I'm doing weird things <laughs> like 50 grams of chicken at meals. So it does yeah. come down to like your personal preferences as well. Yeah. And that's exactly right. So knowing that and knowing that, you know, when calories and protein are equated, whatever you want to do with those remaining carbs and fats and how you cycle those during the week, if you want to fast carbs and fats on some days, that's fine. It's probably not optimal to fast protein as well if you have any consideration for retaining your muscle or building muscle. But outside of protein, like whatever you do with those remaining carbs and fats and your calories are set correctly, it's up to you. And I think, you know, I've I've done a few diets and some of the ketogenic diet, no thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) definitely not. Yeah, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, as I would say. Isn't you love pulling out that analogy <laughs> and you pulled it out in this episode. And that's fine. <laughs> um, All right. Well um, said. How good is that? So yeah. many gold nuggets in this episode. Yeah. This has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned there, Holly, about um, the new app that you and Lena put together. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about, is it Carbon Coach? Carbon Diet Coach, yes. Yeah. So um, we launched this in March of this year. Uh, It took us about two and a half years to actually build. So it sounds crazy, but the amount of work that goes into um, building the formulas um, to kind of make sure that the adjustments that are given to each individual and then actually building out the app, that was how long it took us. And we were working on that around the clock. So that launched this year. It's basically um, an advanced, um, it has an advanced coaching algorithm that will coach you for either fat loss reverse dieting it can help you to maintain your weight and it can also do muscle gains so you basically choose your goal you can enter in the amount of weight that you would like to gain or lose or if you're reversing a maximum allowable weekly weight gain uh, and then it will coach you just like a coach so you you check in each week it assesses all of your data and uh, your compliance and then it will give you an adjustment based on your individual response so yeah it's been awesome we've got about twenty eight thousand subscribers so far so there you go let's hope this drive this will drive a lot more i'm keen to check it out as well this Mm. is it's so convenient i mean i used it for my own prep before we launched it just because like once you have a husband, Lane always jokes and says, once you've been intimate with someone, you don't listen to them anymore. So <laughs> even, even though like I'm married to Lane, like sometimes I'm like, you don't know me. No, that's not <laughs> like, no I'm different. Don't I'm tell me what to do. I'm an independent woman. That's what we do. <laughs> exactly. So I would, I just use that um, in addition to like, I'd make my own judgment at the end of the day, but God, it's just so nice to have that bit of accountability. And I mean, like every coach, 
needs a coach, especially if you're competing. Like, yeah, yeah you can probably you can do it on your own, and I've done a lot on my own. But um, yeah, it, it's nice to have the the guesswork kind of taken away for you. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's easy to make up excuses and justify things for yourself, but when you've got oh, something, is. especially <laughs> technology or a coach telling you like, no, this is the sets and reps you need to do, or this is what you're eating today, or this is your calorie budget, you know, so much more inclined to stick to it. Yeah. yeah so that was such a huge success so um yeah we're about to, we've been uh, releasing new features along the way um we're about to release a new feature that um shows you the true calories so I'm not sure of the labeling laws in Australia and whether they've changed since I left but I know that um here in USA at least um the calories that are described on a package um are actually with the subtraction of dietary fiber and sugar alcohols so that's why if you're using your food tracker often you'll see them you know your macros are saying one thing like you're done for the day but then your calories might say oh you've still got a few hundred left because of the subtractions of the fiber on that label so one of the unique features that this now has in part of the food tracking aspect of the app so it has a has a food tracker um, is you can select an option for um, actual true calories. So oh, that's cool. That's really Game cool. Wow. You don't have to guesstimate and it doesn't like not include all of the weird labels of the diet products that a lot of us competitors yes. use yeah. because we're looking for the lowest calories on the labels. So yeah. And I think yeah, everyone cool. probably uses my fitness pal, but even I've noticed like the discrepancy between like what you get at the supermarket. Like we still count the fiber and the sugars in a lot of the foods that we use here, but the mm-hmm. labeling difference can be so um, significantly different. Like yeah. I drink calories sometimes when I look at what's on the packet and what my fitness pal's logging. And if you're, you know, not used to tracking and you're not used to um, looking at labels, it'd be very easy to miss um, something like that. Yeah, and that's one of the problems I think with so many of the food trackers is that they use crowdsourced data. So um, one of the things that the coaching app does for us is it's purely food manufacturer entered information. So what we plan to do in the future is to kind of build out our own um, food database. So at the moment we only have, um, or not only, there's quite a few countries, so USA, Canada, UK and Australia. They're the four countries we currently have that have access to the app and all of the food database. But we'd like to be able to have a feature where like if you scan a product and it doesn't come up at all. And this is quite common for like small hole in the wall food manufacturers. Maybe they only sell their products online um, and they just don't have the capacity to submit information to the, you know, the governing food body like Fazans there in Australia. So, you know, that requires money and time and not all companies can do that. So we want to be able to have an option where like you scan your product, you can actually take a photograph of the label, enter and submit the information. And then someone from our team actually then enters it in and we know it's accurate. (laughs) So rather than just having like crowdsourced data where anybody can just put anything in, like I've scanned like a lasagna once and I'm pretty sure it had like one gram of carb and two (laughs) grams of carb. I'm thinking that was around. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's what heaven would be like, oh, I think. But you're scrolling, you're like, you're like lowest. Yeah. yeah. But even like when you go to say grilled or something here in Australia and you put in like the chips, it'll say like, you know, 450 calories, it's zero macros. You know, like it's just, yeah. it doesn't add yeah. up. So, and people wouldn't know. And then sometimes if you like, if I've got a new client, they're new to tracking and you're looking at their food diary and it's like, it's because that's got zero carbs in it, but yeah. they don't know the difference. So it's amazing yeah. that there's technology and apps coming out like this. Uh, to mm. make flexible dieting and balancing so much more sustainable. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, again, that's so cool. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know what? Do you girls use calorie cycling or do you eat the same calories each day? Um, I do higher carbs on leg days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, within the app, in the calorie, we have a calorie planner. So on certain days, if you'd like to have high um, calories for a difficult training session or you've got a wedding on the weekend or you know you're going out with the girls for some drinks, whatever, you can go in and preset the high days to the calories that you want and then the coach automatically brings down all the other days so that you know what you have to eat on your lower days without you having to do all the fuckery with, excuse my French, the stuffery with the math. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's really important. Sign me up. Do that sort of stuff. Um, You know, so apart from Mm -hmm. everything else that you've just said, what's next for you moving forward, Holly? Um, My goodness. I think we really uh, need to kind of get things above water at the moment. This is the last couple months for us have just been really crazy. We've had a few book launches. We've done this. We are releasing our brand new supplement line this Friday. Yes. Nutrition is coming out on Friday. So we've been kind of working on that. Um, I think the next big thing for us is probably going to be um, expanding the workout builder. So increasing the range and diversity of programming that we have on the BioLane site. Um, and just have them really frequently kind of like a a monthly thing. And then we also want to uh, work on a university course there in Australia. So we're kind of working in with a couple of people, which uh, that's a big project. We've got a few here in USA that we're kind of reaching out to um, so that we can have maybe a specific course that's recognized for physique competitors or body composition specifically. So We've kind of got the partnerships down and a few of the units done, but that's probably the next big thing um, coming up for us in 2021. So, Well, I said I'd never go back to uni, but I think you need to hear my words (laughs) now. I don't finish my PhD yet. I'm like, when am I going to do this? And then like, like, do another one. I'm like, nah. (laughs) Slotted in, added into the calendar. Wow. Lots of very exciting things. And it's such a, um, you know, I guess, like you said, you know, the physique development research, it's such a new era and there's not enough of it out. So it would be so cool seeing it in universities come up so coaches can get more educated and just take the guesswork out of things. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's a lot of um, like courses, short courses that you can do um, that they're not really recognized, you know, certainly not across countries. It might be like they're recognized, like, is it precision nutrition, for instance? Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people have that certification, but like if you kind of dive into it, there's a lot of things that are missing. There's a lot of outdated research. So we're really trying to kind of bring about a team of people that are heavily invested in physique sports that are researchers or professors or highly involved in this field to bring all of the latest studies. And I think the coolest thing is, there are so many more um, people doing this now. Mm. Like originally it used to just be the bros, you know, the bodybuilders yeah. and they were the ones setting the meal plan. <laughs> and now it's like there is an interest from a scientific standpoint to get some of this stuff like better understood. You know, is there differences between males and females in response to, you know, high rep training or, you know, how about this reverse diet or diet breaks, you know, What's the science really say behind it? There's a lot of um, upcoming researchers that are really kind of going into this headstrong. So I'm so excited for the next 10 years 
We're yes. going to find out so much stuff. I'm just like every day I'm there on PubMed like, yes. <laughs> how good. How long, how oh. long until this course is out? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I know. I know. I think we're about a unit down so far. I would expect that we'll probably be getting close around this time next year. Like it's, Ooh. we already have so many like pockets and things that we're doing. It's like, you can't, if we were doing this full time, it would probably be done in the first quarter of next year, but we've got to spread our time. So probably yeah. late next year, I would think it will be close. Yeah. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming on and having a chat to us and enlightening our listeners and us, even though you're in such a busy transformational time. <laughs> so yeah, it's just been so cool to have you on and, and to hear um, what you're going to do in the next year, 10 years and, and changing the game. That's what it's yeah. about. That's really cool. <laughs> No, no, thank well, you so much for having me on, girls. It's been awesome. Yeah. So where can our uh, listeners find you, by the way, Holly? Sure. Um, so I'm most active, I guess, on Instagram and YouTube. So my handle for both of those platforms is Holly T. Baxter. Um, as far as accessing all of our educational resources, so our books, um, our coaching app, our coaches, we have a team of coaches. You can find all of that at biolane.com forward slash IG. And then there's a link of all of the products and stuff that we have. So, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Again, thank you so much for coming on and, um, you know, enlightening us and our audience and sharing your knowledge. We're really excited to see the development of, you know, all your apps and your courses come through. So, um, guys and girls, if you did enjoy this episode, please do take a screenshot, tag myself, Danielle, and, of course, Holly, uh, and let us know what you think of the episode. Thanks again, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome, girls. (laughs)